Um, well, good morning, and apologies for the slightly late start to the webinar this morning. Um, and we still have one of our panelists um, who's having some technical difficulties, and we hope we'll be able to join the call very soon. Um, and we're here today, um, it's a slightly different format than normal. Um, we normally would hear a presentation and then have Q&A. We're going to have more of a conversational style uh, today um, with Afua Che, who is um, going to be joining us, we hope, very soon, uh, and Tanji Morgan, who you can see on screen. Uh, both from the Bank of England on why diversity and representation are essential for firms and I'll introduce our uh, panellists uh, in a moment. Um, you'll know me, I'm Mike Wardle, I'm the CEO at CN um, and very, my job here is really to um, welcome you to the, the <coughs> webinar and to move swiftly through to the main content um, and really to uh, first of all thank our sponsors um, who allow us to range far and wide in these uh, webinar series uh, across the fields of economics and finance and technology and other interesting things that we uh, enjoy sharing with you. Um, the programme today, as I say, is a bit more of a conversation than a uh, presentation. Um, we will have short presentations from Afwa and, uh, <coughs> and from Tanji about um, their backgrounds and how they got to where they are. Uh, and then we'll have more of a conversation with some themes um, as, as we run through. There will be some time for Q&A at the end. Um, and if you haven't used the GoToWebinar platform before, you'll find on your screen uh, a questions tab where you can type in uh, questions uh, for our, our panelists and we'll deal with those um, at the end of the session um, and share those with you. Uh, also to say today is being recorded, so um, if you um, want to go back and look again or you want to share uh, the content of the webinar with your friends and colleagues, uh, it'll be published on our website on the events page um, probably in around uh, two days' time, um, and that'll be there for you to uh, sh share with others. Um, so uh, we will have with us today, I'm sure, um, Akwa Che, Chief Financial Officer of the Bank of England, um, who is, uh, will be joining us as soon as she can. Um, but we do have with us uh, Tanji Morgan, Independent Senior Advisor to the Bank of England, um, and I'm delighted that we're able to uh, invite uh, such distinguished people uh, to join us for this call. Uh, Afro and Tanji were both recognised on the 2023 Power Lists being uh, amongst the top 100 most influential Britons of Black heritage. Afro was the first Black executive to be appointed in the 329-year history of the Bank of England when she joined the bank at the age of 36, and Tanji was the first Black female senior advisor uh, at the Bank of England. Um, so groundbreaking, and we're really looking forward to hearing some of their experiences uh, and thoughts about diversity, equality and inclusion. Um, so Tanji, over to you, I think, just for a brief kind of introduction to how you reached your position as a senior advisor to the bank. Well, thank you, uh, Mike and the FS Club, uh, and especially Michael Minnelli, uh, for the invitation to speak today. And I'll try to uh, go through a 40-year career uh, and not, <laughs> not put everybody to sleep here. Um, I'm a, I am a regular attendee of the FS Club webinars and uh, very honored to be here today uh, and, and be among the list of the uh, distinguished previous speakers. So I was invited to join the cohort of PRA senior advisors in 2016. Andrew Bailey was the deputy governor at the time. The role of a senior advisor is to bring industry knowledge and insights to the organization, operating as a non-executive director within uh, the organization, of course. 
Um, the role varies from day to day with input on major policy decisions, solvency and capital models, governance, staff training, mentoring, and stepping into executive roles when required. I also act as a sounding board for various directorates within the bank, such as the FinTech and Climate Hubs, and speak externally at, and have spoken externally at the FinTech InsureTech Summit and the Sustainability Summit at the British Embassy in Prague. I also chaired the launch of the Bank for International Settlements Innovation Hub at the Bank of England. And as has been stated, um, I am the first black female senior advisor uh, at the Bank of England uh, so, so far. I started my career in the petroleum industry in Texas and Louisiana as an oil and gas analyst with Conoco, now ConocoPhillips, which required me to complete an offshore training program, living and commuting to offshore rigs in the Gulf of Mexico. I was one of the first women and women of color to accept the role and successfully completed before being assigned to positions in offices in Louisiana. I then changed careers after the US oil and gas market downturn in the mid 80s and started over again in the reinsurance industry, specializing in catastrophic liability, providing risk transfer to major global organizations, including pharmaceuticals, integrated oil companies, banks, transportation, and other industry sectors. My career spanned various global organizations in the US and Bermuda. I ultimately accepted a senior role with AIG in London in 2002, ultimately rising to senior vice president of Star Excess International, an AIG subsidiary, overseeing a $100 million global portfolio requiring travel around the world. Subsequently, I was asked to join the Corporation of Lloyds of London as deputy head of syndicate underwriting performance by the famous Rolf Toller who was the first ever Franchise Performance Directorate of Lloyd's. In the role, I was directly responsible for the profitability of syndicates representing 14 billion pounds in written premium of the 25 billion pound market. And I was a member of the panel that approved the total uh, syndicate business plans for the entire market. The varied experiences, um, transferable skills, credibility, industry expertise are what ultimately positioned me for the current role that I have. I believe that my diversity of experience, experiences and definitely, is definitely a positive in my day-to-day -day interactions with senior leadership and staff. Throughout my long career, um, I have the following four peers that have been key. Number one, confidence. I have not chosen to focus on the fact that I have been the only one. I have actually used it to my advantage to dispel perceptions of tokenism. Two, risk-taking. I started my career in petroleum and then started in uh, reinsuring petroleum companies. Now I advise the Bank of England's Prudential Regulation Authority. The diverse career path has been both rewarding and challenging but I've been willing to take roles that I knew would stretch me intellectually. Don't be afraid of the stretch. Relationships. Many people use the term networking, but to me that sounds clinical. 
I can honestly say that all of my jobs since university have come about through someone passing my name on for opportunities that were not on my radar. Be your best and honest self with everyone in your network and they will think of you when opportunities arise. And the fourth is resilience. As you can imagine, over the last four decades, I've had ups and downs personally and professionally. However, I've come to understand that it was important to reach out and not be too proud to ask for help, advice, or guidance. The professional relationships I cultivated over the years have been of value during these times. I do believe that my life pillars of confidence, risk-taking, networking, and resilience have been the threads that have allowed me to focus and not waste energy on negative comments, situations, or colleagues. I have focused on the lessons learned and used those to inform my next role or opportunity. I grew up with parents that were both successful in their professional careers as a business owner and educator. They demonstrated and expected me to achieve as they had, regardless of my gender, race, or Southern US roots. They taught me to be proud of my heritage and be an ambassador, ambassador to my race and other ambassador to my race for others. My late mother was also a great influence, attaining a master's of science and postgraduate degrees from New York University in the early 60s. My grandmother was also well-educated and accomplished. They both gave me role models as women of color and encouraged me to do the same for those coming behind me. I have occupied many spaces where I was the only and the first, but I have taken and continue to use those opportunities to speak up and have my voice heard dispelling stereotypes and negative views. As the late Shirley Chisholm, who was the first African-American and woman to run for US president for a major party in 1972, famously stated, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. It is often said that you've got to see it to be it in discussions of DE&I. I do agree. However, I also think that someone has to be the first. So why not you? That can be applying for a new role, taking on more responsibility or volunteering. This is what I encourage colleagues that I mentor to consider. You never know who you might influence. A personal example is a few years ago, I spoke at a conference for female university students. And after the talk, I had conversations with several of the young ladies in attendance. Earlier this year, one of the young ladies that I had discussed working at the BOE stopped me in the hallway to say that she had joined the bank after graduation due to my conversation with her uh, at the conference. Amazing but shows how representation can influence and impact others that look like you. In conclusion, throughout my career, I have not let gender or race define me. I have embraced my diversity as a positive. I believe that as individuals, we all are diverse and bring different talents, skills, and experiences to the workplace. The challenges we now face, such as climate change, technology, generational differences, as well as social expectations mean that we need collective voices to create better outcomes now more than ever. I'd like to acknowledge and thank Mohini Gurung for her contribution in reviewing this speech. Thank you.
Well, well thank you very much indeed. It's a, a fascinating career path, as you say, going from um, the oil business you know, through to insurance, through to um, advice and mentoring. And really good to hear yes. that um, you know, that's a path which you can, and, and your pillars on which you, you build the peers yes. on which you build this. But I guess the, the question comes up as, you know, is um, financial services neutral to these issues of diversity, you know, equality and inclusion, or is it good, is it bad? Um, and I just ask you to reflect on whether businesses should be leading society or does business simply follow where society is taking a lead? Right. Well, for the first question, uh, is financial services good, bad and different uh, to DE&I? My opinion is like, you know, any other sector, the financial services sector is um, has some firms that are leading on diversity and others that are laggards. Uh, as a general comment, I do believe that the industry is on par with others. Uh, the expectations of shareholders, employees, regulators, uh, and the general public, as well as attracting talent, are key drivers that you know move firms, I believe, um, to address the DEI uh, topic. Um, I don't know that business is actually leading society. Uh, in this area, uh, perhaps it may be society leading business because certainly the court of public opinion plays a role in how firms react, retreat, pivot, and sometimes rightly, uh, you know, sometimes rightly so. And other uh, others uh, firms feel compelled to do um, due to reputational and market share impacts um, on their businesses. So I think that there are many drivers. I think that. Um, you know, organizations in financial services sector, as I said, you know, run the gamut. But I do think that um, the court of public opinion does uh, play a pivotal role in that. <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting that um, Tom Peters, who wrote In Search of Excellence back in the day, um, is now advocating for um, all women leadership. Uh, in companies. He just says women make better leaders, it's the end, the, the data's in, uh, give up. And <clears throat> we're not quite in that position. Um, but you know, do you think of following up on this question, the businesses that pay attention to diversity and are looking for diversity in their workforce, are, are they better run businesses, do you think? Well, I think it's been a lot written about um, the different styles of women versus men. Um, and I do think it comes down to uh, you can have a boardroom, uh, you know, or senior leadership that are all women, but there again, um, topic perhaps of groupthink could come up. You know, just because you know you've changed over from all men to to women, and you know, I think that's why uh, the term. I know it's it's perhaps overused or used a lot. Diversity, diversity of thought, uh, cognitive diversity, diversity of experiences, if you will, are what I believe lead firms to make better choices and better decisions. Um, and I, you know, I, I do agree that there should be more women, um, you know, in senior leaderships and there are, are um, obviously firms that are doing much better than others in that. But I still believe that there should be diversity in all areas, um, you know, with skill sets. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I'm going to um, skip over the next question because I'm still hoping Afra will be able to join us and I know she right. had a particular view on the next one. But if we move on to uh, the question of recognition awards. 
Um, right. you know, there are various award schemes out there for you know, both women in business or you know, uh, ethnic diversity in business. Um, do they help um, and what's their impact, do you think? Well, I, I think that definitely um, recognizing uh, different individuals, um, their achievements, their awards, you know, their uh, accomplishments is certainly positive. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to, um, if you will, give people visibility that perhaps may not have gotten it otherwise. However, the concern is that, you know, it's not just about, oh, someone has gotten an award and we recognize them, hey, that's great. Uh, it really sometimes can lead people to not really appreciate the complexity of actually the whole concept of diversity, equity, and inclusion in its, its forms. So I do um, think that it's appropriate for people to get awards and be recognized. That is wonderful. But we should not forget that, you know, it's a complicated discussion. Um, and just because people in your organization have gotten awards doesn't give you a, a, a go-card, pass card. Yes, I, I don't know what the equivalent is for greenwashing in the, in this area, but um, <laughs> there are, um, you, uh, <laughs> you know, they've got exactly. the policies written down and they've got recognized around the policies, but the reality may be um, not quite there yet. Exactly. Um, and and I, I guess the next, the, the, one of the questions that's really on our mind at the moment is the whole question of AI and what difference it's going to make to the working world in particular. Um, but there is a diversity aspect to sort of technology um, in all its forms. I just wonder whether you have any thoughts about the impact of AI on diversity um, and uh, what are the issues that we're facing around new technology development? Well, uh, simplistically, I, I think that if there is no diversity of thought um, and experience when developing AI tools, whatever they may be, um, then you're going to more than likely have biases and outputs. And, you know, there could be unintended consequences and it, that could adversely affect the whole DEI space, right? Or what you're trying to accomplish. Certainly there are positives with AI. No one denies that. But my concern is really around who is around the table that is determining uh, why, what the usage of the particular tool is, and what are the outcomes. And if the outcomes do not, outputs do not um, accurately reflect what your strategy is, what you're looking to accomplish. This is why you always have to have, you know, um, what do you say, a person in the loop, right? A human in the loop. Um, but many people I find um, do fall into what is called the neutrality fallacy. Uh, Silicon Valley has this term, right? That meaning that any outputs from a computer are neutral. Um, that is a fallacy. Uh, there are trade-offs. And so who determines um, what is better? Who determines those trade-offs? And if you, if you continue to have people that are of a certain demographic, certain age group, you know, certain uh, academic um, level um, that can rationally uh, think through a lot of these uh, topics, um, sometimes there's a lot of groupthink there and you can miss some of the, um, you know, some of the unintended consequences. Um, I regularly attend the all-party parliamentary group on AI evidence meetings and 
you know, where the the pros and cons of AI are discussed. Recently, there was a discussion on the new um, white paper that the government's come out with. Um, my my views on that that's a great um, it's a great forum for people to come and give evidence in the various sectors and and how it impacts their businesses and their business models, startups, you know. Um, however, there are very few uh, people that or diverse or from underrepresented groups that, you know, give evidence. And so there again, you know, there are discussions being had about AI technology, the benefits, but making sure that we are not leaving people behind, not leaving them the un underrepresented behind in, in how we move forward. Thanks. I'm going to uh, move because it, it, it goes quite nicely, I think, um, from, to a question from the audience. Um, Chidioti Obara has asked questions about whether justice needs to play into this. He talks about Jedi, um, justice, equality, diversity and inclusion, yeah. um, and whether you think that justice needs to count in this area, but also whether you can comment on any differences between the US and the UK um, in justice, quality, diversity, inclusion issues. You, know, um, you perhaps have a some insight at least into what's happening across the pond. Right, well, I, I think, of course, in my opinion, these are my opinions, of course, justice plays into it. Um, you know, we, we want to have a fair and equal society. Uh, that is the goal, right? Um, and I do think that um, very much so, I think that justice plays into it. What is right, you know, being fair uh, to your population? Um, Speaking about the the U.S. and the U.K., yes, very different, um, very different cultures, very different backgrounds, um, and of course, in the U.S., we had a situation back from the civil rights movement um, on civil rights, right, and um, basically making sure that you're using the term underrepresented, um, you know, women, uh, people that were disabled, of course, uh, people of color. Uh, were given equal opportunity in uh, roles and sectors that they were previously um, not able to to enter, um, and that pushed through a lot of progressiveness, if you will, with regards to getting more black uh, and brown people in, um, you know, leadership roles. And um, I'm a I'm basically a, a, a legacy of that. Uh, my parents uh, were both very active in the civil rights movement. Um, when you come to this country, um, you know, there's there's a different take on that. Um, people talk about positive discrimination, which it was a term that I was not familiar with until I came here. But I simply say that you need an invite. I put it this way, you, you need to get the invitation to the dance right okay <laughs> you need to be you need to get there and uh you know so uh that you need to find ways that you bring people along um and uh truly uh reach out to them and embrace their diversity so i um i don't know if i really answered this question uh or not but those are my views on it yeah that's a, that's a complicated question to answer in what <laughs> two or three minutes. <laughs> we'll have to have another session. <laughs> on another <laughs> um, but Diddy has um, put a note in saying thanks very much for your thoughtful and considered answers. Right. So, uh, <laughs> you'll be 
that you've um, managed the question. Um, Thank you. Graham, Graham Elliott has asked, um, do you ever feel that where you have developed ways of overcoming, overcoming potential discrimination? Are there other members of minorities who are observably, observably less successful in doing so? And where do you think the difference lies? Well, I mean, I can't speak for all <laughs> uh, folks that are in, in the underrepresented groups, but I think um, what it comes down to for me, probably the previous question answers some of that. I mean, I grew up in America. I'm American, you know, um, and I grew up in a situation where I was... I was told, look, you're, you're black, you're a woman, you're gonna be that all your life. You're well-educated, get on with it. And so, you know, that is the background that I came from. I did, I did not come from a situation where I felt I was lesser than. So I've really just gotten on with it. I'm certainly not naive, and I'm certainly sure that people, as I said, you know, had different perceptions and stereotypes of me, which is, you know, why I put it uh, in my, my brief um, uh, presentation that I gave. But I, you know, that was my background. That was my um, you know, start in life, if you will. And I think, I don't think I know is what has gotten me through um, a 40 year career, very diverse career. Now, you know, some other people obviously might not necessarily have had that background or maybe that guidance, you know, that teacher, that um, person, that aunt, uncle or whomever, you know, that basically um, encouraged them and spoke to them or helped them along that way. So I think that it is um, it is different for each individual. Um, and that is also why I think that it's so important for Afwa and myself, you know, tons <laughs> of other people. That's actually why the power list is there and was um, established to highlight people, um, especially in this country, that we're doing that we're doing well and acting as role models. And one of the things too with the power list is that, you know, we have an obligation to mentor and to um, you know work with up and coming uh, young professionals and university students in order to in order to address some of the um, maybe the hesitancy or the a lack of maybe having as much confidence as they should. Um, so these are things that, and this is why, as we say, I truly believe that representation is important. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and I was just thinking about mentoring as a kind of, you mentioned the aunts and uncles, yes. the extended network, the teacher, someone to encourage you, and that's maybe where mentoring has, has a role. Um, exactly. In, in, in taking that. Well, mentoring, mentoring, of course, but of course we know sponsorship, right? Um, you know, someone that's in a senior position uh, within organizations that sees a junior person and actually brings them along. Um, it's a lot to be said about reverse mentoring also. Senior leadership, leadership looking to the younger generation or looking to people that are coming in from different experiences and actually understanding um, what some of their concerns are, what some of their um, anxieties are. And I believe that this, this understanding of experiences, no matter 
what race, ethnicity, gender you are, is what really, as I said, is going to be needed, is needed in order to uh, address the issues that we have facing us. Um, you know, generationally, we have Gen Zers, and I think they're called Gen Alphas now, right? Uh, they will they will be coming into the workforce, and, uh, you know, firms for sustainability even are going to need to be able to um, to exist, to coexist in organizations. I, um, that is what I posit. Super. And, and, and I guess you know, one of the questions is within an organization, I know you're at the Bank of England, not in such an executive role, maybe as Afro mm. uh, is, but you know, what advice or tips would you give to some manage or managers um, and leaders as to how, how you can support and recognize diverse talent? I'm, I'm at the bank and we have some very, very sort of high, high firewalls and um, unfortunately I've not been able to get into the webinar, so apologies for that, but I'm absolutely on, on the line on audio. And so, um, yeah, so I, I would say that from an exec perspective, I'd, it's important that we have to recognise that everyone is talented in their own way and we shouldn't try to sort of put a definition on what, what talent is. We, we need to realise that everyone is talented and we shouldn't think that um, somebody who looks a certain way or sounds a certain way or has a particular experience or background or skill set knows the best. It's important that we, we engage with individuals and we build relationships so that we can understand what their unique strengths are. And we also know that people uh, perform differently according to what their environment is. And so if we create a positive environment, um, there's a better chance that people will perform to their true potential. And so we need to avoid creating a negative environment where actually our, our talents and our abilities don't shine through and people feel um, feel as though they're not um, you know, giving their best and they're not motivated or inspired to give their best. And so in practical terms, some of the things that we've looked at are you know, challenging how we're actually allocating opportunities. So we know that um, People um, are only as good as the opportunities that they're given, and so really challenging how we're allocating those opportunities, and um, you know, trying to make sure that we give equal opportunities for staff to attend high-profile meetings, so that they're more visible and that, so that they're more tuned into the discussions and they have the context. And then to take it a step further, um, to actually um, encourage some of the people who've been doing the work to actually present. So we have this author in the room policy at the bank, which means that if you've been working on a presentation, as the author, you should attend the meeting and you should present your own work. That way you get the recognition and you get um, the visibility. And as, um, as Hanji already mentioned, you know, we encourage, we encourage sponsorship, mentorship and talent programs so that we're nurturing different types of talent. And then finally, what I'd say is that um, you know, some of the most controversial um, sort of conversations happen when, you know, as an exec, you discuss reward and promotions. And I think in those situations, it's really important to challenge whether certain groups are doing proportionately, disproportionately well, or, you know, not doing well disproportionately, and to then question why that is. We can't just assume that um, a particular group is better or worse. We really need to challenge 
um, you know, watch underneath that and get under the bonnet and just, you know, to think about what opportunities have particular individuals been given, what support have they had, what mentors have they had, and we need to try to level out the playing field so that diverse talent have um, the tools that they need to thrive so that everybody can be successful. Thank you and, and, and welcome, Afwa. Um, it's good that you were able to join us uh, towards the end of the call, but it's really good to hear from you. Uh, I was just reflecting on um, a previous experience where we ran a kind of a, a talent um, pro pro and progression um, scheme, uh, which was really powerful because you're saying to people quite early in their career that the judgment of senior people is that you've got the ability uh, to achieve you know, um, senior level um, representation. But again, monitoring that system to make sure that we were really taking account of who was getting through that system uh, was really important. Um, we've got a question for Hugo Innes, um, which is probably again for you, Afwa, um, just asking how does the Bank of England work with helping to nudge other financial institutions? Um, so either of you, I guess, um, but do you think there's a role there for in the regulatory role um, or in just leadership role for the Bank of England uh, shifting uh, the, the dial for other, other financial institutions? Yeah, so I mean, I can start, and then Tanji, you might have some um, some, some specific thoughts on this as well. But um, we, we are conscious of the role that we have um, and the influence that we have, and therefore we do see it as um, important for us to engage with other financial institutions and to um, ensure that um, you know financial institutions, particularly the ones that we regulate, are conscious of the you know the wider. Um, societal benefit and actually as part of the um, the ESG agenda that, that most of the firms have and um, they'll be thinking about this anyway but we we absolutely um, you know we absolutely um, consider this when we're regulating firms and when we're um, you know when we're when we are uh, you know particularly working with boards on some of the senior appointments um, you know that's something that we think about but also um, you know we you know, we, we consult, and and so there's more that I think there's more that you'll be hearing from from the PRA on that front later on in this year. Thank you, Anthony. Yes, um, there was. I'm sure. Well, maybe some of the audience may know. Um, there was a discussion paper between the FCA, the PRA, and the wider um, bank that was out, I want to say it was last year, and it was actually talking about diversity at board level, right? Um, and addressing the groupthink, um, you know, cognitive diversity, uh, which is really what you need around the board table. Um, as I said, with uh, ESG um, agendas, with, um, you know, geopolitics, with uh, technology, all of these things that boards are now dealing with in what I call a polycrisis, you really do need to have different people at the table. Um, you can't just rely on one person coming in and giving a presentation, perhaps, you know, once a quarter or whatever, you know, you really, really need to stay on top of this. And, um, you know, so diversity in the lens of cognitive diversity and really addressing uh, potential groupthink and uh, confirmation bias, yes. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much. We're, we're kind of out of time because, um, as we know, we started a little bit late. But um, Afwa, I just wonder whether you just wanted to give sort of a brief um, overview of how you reached your position I and mean, sort of the, the background to your and your experience. Sure. So, um, you know, very quickly, I would say that 
I, um, you know, have a, I have a, a bit of a different background. So I read chemistry at university, um, at Oxford initially, and then at Princeton, and I uh, specialised in organic chemistry. And then I decided um, that I wanted to move into financial services. So I became an auditor at Ernst Young, auditing banking and capital markets clients. And then um, in 2007, it was the global financial crisis, and I moved into mergers and acquisitions at UBS, working in the group strategy team, so helping to advise the board in Zurich on acquisitions and disposals. And so if we think about the recent Credit Suisse acquisition, um, I would have been working on that deal back in those days had we had we done it. And so um, I did that um, for a few years, and then I had the opportunity to move into the investment bank as a financial institutions group uh, investment banker, so helping to advise clients, mostly European banks, on the challenges that they're facing to help them shore up their capital, liquidity and funding during the crisis. And then in 2012, I moved to Barclays as a finance director and we did um, you know, a major cost transformation over a three-year period. And so at that time, um, Bob Diamond uh, was just leaving and then Anthony Jenkins came in as the CEO and we thought about um, the customer and we thought about how to make the customer's experience um, as streamlined and as smooth and efficient as possible. And, and we therefore put the customer first and then re-engineered many of our processes and used data technology to support that and um, took out a lot of cost. And I was very much involved in helping to design and plan that um, cost transformation um, program um, and I worked across the, the, the chief operating officer and then also in the investment bank and then I became the CFO of mortgages and then four years ago I was appointed as the CFO of the Bank of England. Um, so going from organic chemistry to um, finance is always a, um, <laughs> a, a, a step um, but I'm sure that the uh, analytical tools you developed um, as a chemist uh, will certainly have come in handy. Um, we really are out of time, and it's been a fascinating conversation. Um, thank you, Afra, uh, for joining, despite the technical difficulties that we had. Um, it's been a great conversation. Um, and just to say that uh, Chidi Otiobaho, who asked one of the questions, has um, said his takeaway is um, di di dive excellence, uh, kind of a mixture of diversity and excellence, uh, which we should always be paying attention to. Um, so just to, to conclude, uh, we've got more, uh, again, sort of thanks to our sponsors, I mentioned them before, but they really are um, stalwarts um, in helping us um, cover the range of topics that we do. Uh, we have other events coming up, um, and in particular, keep an eye on um, <clears throat> an event tomorrow on transforming rather than optimizing, uh, on a history-based theory of change power. Um, Marisha talking to us on uh, Thursday about captive insurance companies. Um, and then we have a session with Liechtenstein next week um, to hear what's going on uh, in that financial center. Um, normally on uh, these occasions, we'd open the, um, the floor for a round of applause. We can't do that today, but sincere thanks uh, to you, Tanji, sincere thanks uh, to you, uh, Afwa, uh, for joining us today and, and giving us some insight into your thoughts uh, on what is a topic which we should spend more time talking about and we maybe will have you back for another session uh, on another occasion. Um, so many thanks indeed, uh, many thanks to the audience and uh, we'll see you on future occasions. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Thanks very much. Bye.